Episode 3328 of the Survival Podcast. It is a listener feedback show. We're going to do something we don't always do or that we seldom do, and that is we're going to talk about things that are almost all current events today that a lot of the media is talking about, some that they're not. Um, we're going to have one topic that has nothing to do with the media, but the rest of it's all going to be stuff out of you know headlines and news reports and things like that. And I just think it's a good day to do that. There's a lot going on, and some of this stuff actually should be paid attention to. It's not that you're going to change it or anything, uh, as I always say, this idea that we'll, uh, we'll vote ourselves to freedom or something or comply ourselves to freedom or something. It's a childish idea for childish people. And uh, quoting the Bible a little bit here, when I was – when I was a child, I played with childish things, but as a man, I put away childish things. But we do need to be aware. So just like you're not going to stop a tornado or a hurricane, it doesn't mean you shouldn't check the weather. So we're going to kind of check the weather today. And even the thing that I have that's not from the media, it is a real-world, real-life survival topic, and it's about how to think. And I think that this will actually, even though it is about combat, conflict, however you want to call it, staying alive when somebody's trying to kill you, it may actually philosophically help you better understand the world that you're in outside of that, um, you know, uh, am I going to get killed today mindset, like way beyond just what it's really for, because we are in a survival mode right now. And so let's t- let's say what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the supposed coup um, by the ca- commander of the Wagner unit. I'm going to show you, while I'm talking about that at some point, a video from inside Russia uh, that your media will never show you. And whenever I talk about this topic, I I always get accused of being a tool of Putin, which if you've been around a while, you know how stupid that is, or, you know, a Russian apologist or something like that. Simply reporting what's going on without bias is not picking a side. In fact, it's the opposite of picking a side. I, I just feel like it is ridiculous that you would accuse a person who's a non-interventionist of being more biased than a person who's an interventionist when we're talking about the same conflict. As an interventionist, you're saying we need to get involved. And if we're going to get involved, we have then therefore picked a side. So therefore, your opinions must back your side. Whereas a non-interventionist, I can just sit back and analyze things and say, this is what I think is going on. And uh, this is an interesting one. And I, I am not sure it was all staged, but it could have been. And the reality is we don't know what really happened. And what we, the only thing we do know is we cannot trust our media or our government. Therefore, the only thing we can do is guess to theorize here. And that's what we're going to do a little bit of today. And I'm sure it'll sound a little bit different than what you'll hear on the TV set. We're going to talk about this is the one thing that's out, not in the mainstream news or anything like that today. The 21-foot uh, rule, the 21-foot drill, the toller drill, um, the idea that if the person has a knife and they're within 21 feet and you have a gun, they, 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 they have the advantage. A lot of different ways this drill is taught and used. It's not in of itself useless, but most trainers don't use it to teach the lesson that it should teach you. And I think that is because it was derived from a law enforcement officer 
um, coming up with a way to defend the use of force on a suspect that is armed with a knife and to justify at what point can an officer deploy their handgun and use lethal force. And the problem is we take this drill and we apply it to our civilian world and we learn nothing from it. And I've talked about this before, but I'm going to come at it a different way today. And again, I think the larger philosophical view here, um, there's a pragmatism in what I'm going to tell you today. And this is an uncomfortable thing to talk about for some people. They don't want to hear it because it's very uncomfortable to realize how at risk you are at any given point in the day. Anyway, so we'll dig into that one. We're going to talk about an article that's out today about CEOs forcing people to return to the office. Of course, when the COVIDs came, tons of people began working from home. Tons of companies went, wait a minute, we're more productive. Um, people are happier and we spend less money. Win. Well, now some of them are reversing course and saying, hey, it's time to get everybody back to the office. As a person who spent a large number of years as a remote worker, because the jobs I had, when you're in sales and you're in an outside sales environment, you generally, don't, especially in a regional sales VP uh, like I was, you don't work out of a corporate office. It's not practical for you to work out of a corporate office. It would be stupid. Uh, because of that, I have a way of, and I managed people that worked the same way. At one point, I had 40 people working for me. None of us worked directly out of an office, though my uh, my manufacturers reps that were, that were working for me at that point, they did have regional offices, but they most of them hardly ever went there. And so I'll tell you what I think about this and why I think CEOs are incapable of comprehending this. And uh, I think it's the same reason they can't market worth a shit, by the way. So we'll talk about that. Uh, and then I'm going to give you a real world example of how chat GPT gives people an edge over those who don't use it or refuse to use it. And this is actually a really interesting example to me because it is conclusive in its results and its real world. And it is germane to the average person, even if they're not in the tech world at all or in the copywriting world at all, because it involves getting a freaking job and not a job in AI, but using AI to obtain an interview so that you can get a job and earn money. And there is nothing more competitive than trying to get a good job because other people want it too. And this is a really interesting example from a TikToker that doesn't seem like a mental genius at all to me. Um, and that actually makes it more powerful. Then we're going to talk about the fact that the German Central Bank might need a bailout from the European Central Bank. This is interesting. What I thought was really funny about this is I was doing some research for the story that precedes that one on AI. And so I went uh, to ChatGPT and just on a lark uh, using a, a plugin for ChatGPT4 called WebPilot, gave it a link to this article and said, explain this article, this really long, complex article about why the German Central Bank may be in a position to need a bailout. And I said, explain this to me like I'm in fifth grade. And it wrote about four paragraphs that explain it perfectly. And I think when I read it to you, maybe it will kind of really wake some of you up to how bad the fiat monetary system is and how precarious the situation is. And you have to start asking yourself, when the German Central Bank 
And Germany, being the wealthiest country in Europe, is going to the total of Europe's central banks and saying, we're going to need money. What does that say about the Western economy as a whole and the fractional reserve as a whole? In the state we're at in the life cycle of this monetary system, remember, in America, the monetary system is roughly 110 years old right now, 1913. In its current form, though, it's about as old as me, 1971. I was a year after that, so it's like 52 years, 52 years old. And the current global monetary fractional reserve system is also rated for 50, 52 years, Bretton Woods, Bretton Woods 2, et cetera. And so you have to ask yourself, once we get to the, that far into the, something as flawed as this is, what, what stage are we at? Are we at end stage, mid stage of the life cycle? Because no monetary system has ever lasted forever. And the more we've moved into fiat type monetary systems, debt backed monetary systems, the shorter the life cycle of them. So we'll talk about that today. And in the end, we're just going to say it's the same as it ever was and it ain't going to change, but you can. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Ridge Wallet. We have worked with Ridge for five years. They are a fantastic company. They have some awesome EDC gear now beyond just the wallet itself. Really cool pens, even really cool uh, wedding band sets uh, and things like that. Awesome pens, uh, awesome little key carriers. The big thing that I'll always remember with the Ridge wallet is that those wallets are designed to actually shield the RFID uh, tags and your identification, your credit cards and things like that, so that they can't be uh, cloned. Because there is equipment that allows them to be sniffed and cloned right out of your butt pocket, out of your billfold, or ladies, right out of your purse. And if you ensconce it in a, in a Ridge wallet, it won't just look great and work great and function great and minimize your carry. It will also protect your identity. But again, they have some really cool stuff. And remember, MSB members, you guys get 10% off everything at Ridge.com. And again, if you've heard me talk about Ridge, especially if you're not in the uh, if you're not uh, in the uh, live stream or you don't watch this on video, you just listen to the audio, and you've never seen what's changed at Ridge, you really should go check out Ridge.com. Because the amount of things that they have now has really blossomed into an incredible EDC uh, vendor. Next up today, Live Free Academy from John Bush. John has a crypto seminar, Common Sense Crypto Seminar. And it's going to deal with self-custody and making sure that your, your crypto is safe. In my opinion, Bitcoin is what you really need. Uh, and also some of the things that seem to be being signaled by the SEC and some of the stuff that if you are holding things other than Bitcoin, maybe you shouldn't be, right? Maybe even if you don't agree with me, maybe when you look at what the SEC is doing, there's certain assets right now that should be turned into something else and put into self-custody. And so check this out. Here's what's cool about it. It's Thursday this week. I think it's two hours long. It's free. All you got to do is use the link. There's one in the video notes below. Uh, it'll go out the Daily Mail today. It's in the audio notes for today's show. All you got to do is sign up for it, and you are good to go. You can attend absolutely no cost for free. So now let's let's get into the thing that everybody and their mother seems to be talking about, and that is the Wagner Rebellion, right, or the coup d'etat or whatever. Um, I also, yeah, I can do that. I got the question here. I'm going to. 
I'm going to tick that one for later. If you have any questions for me, anything you want me to comment on, and you are in the live stream, please do what Aaron has done here, which is all caps for the first few words. This is going to be incredibly important today since I am by myself and I'm using a lot of supporting material switching between windows. Because just you see me here doesn't mean that I see the live chat at all times. So one good eye and multitasking. Get those caps up and we'll, we'll talk about some of this stuff. Anyway, let's talk about this Wagner coup. Right, or this Wagner Rebellion, or Wagner, or Wagner, whatever they want to see. It looks like Wagner to me, but uh, it's Wagner is how it seems to be pronounced in Russian. I don't speak Russian. Um, but this is the story that was being told by every mainstream media outlet Saturday. A guy, and I can't think of how to say his name now, so I'm not going to try, but the dude that runs Wagner, which is basically like, it's a mercenary company it's a private military force right it's it, 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 that's what it is it's it's when you hear guys they say that you know i was in afghanistan or i was in iraq or someplace else deployed into a hot zone and you say were you in the military and they said i was a contractor they worked for a company that was like this except it was a u.s based company right so that's what these guys are these guys are war fighters who are paid in general better than soldiers when they get paid anyway, and um, are a private military force. And this guy that runs it, this is his backstory. This is what the media thought was really important that you know about him on Saturday. He started out as a poor kid living in uh, some small city in the Soviet Union before the collapse. He ended up in jail a few times for petty shit. Like, I don't know why we're talking about this while this was going on. It was just like just trying to set this whole thing up for full mind control, I guess. And it, it seems like they got egg all over their face by the time it was all over with. Uh, then he sold hot dogs. And he became good friends with Putin and became a, a super wealthy restaurant entrepreneur and Putin's personal chef. In his spare time, while all of this was going on, he also was the guy that ran the Internet troll farms, which is what got Trump elected. Not just election interference, like this guy got Trump elected. You've got to make sure we hate him, but maybe he's reformed now. Maybe he's the good Wagner guy because he's going to go get Putin, right? And then uh, he's been incredibly uh, hard on Putin and the Russian regime. And now he's leading a rebellion and they're going to Moscow to take over the government. Okay. Whatever of that is true, what's not true is this was never an attempt, and we should have known it was never an attempt, and anybody with, a, with, with the ability to use two brain cells simultaneously knew it wasn't an attempt to take over the government. If it was as close to what it was presented as, as possible, at best it was a significant protest because he felt that his his folks were not being taken care of, they weren't being resupplied in, there is a track record of him complaining about not having enough ammo, not having enough supplies, et cetera. Okay. And so once he got his point across, he turned around and went back. Okay. Um, that's, that's the, that's the, I don't quite buy that, but that's at least possible. That's at least possible. Our CIA and therefore our entire government knew that this was coming. That's pretty much been admitted to, but we had nothing. We didn't touch it. We didn't do nothing. I didn't do nothing, right? Okay, wait a minute. As soon as they start shrieking they didn't do anything, 
I immediately think they did something. Now, there's there's something that's come to knowledge right just a few days before this. Somehow, just a rounding error or something, we're missing some money and money that was allocated for Ukraine. $6.2 billion extra dollars, than, than more than was supposed to be, and we don't know where it is or where it went. So there's a lot of people saying basically the CIA gave Wagner, uh, head of, went to Petrov or whatever his name is, they gave this guy $6 billion and said, hey, turn on Putin. And since you're a mercenary and you work for money, then if you give me more money, you'll turn. Okay, I, I smell stink that this $6 billion, 6.2, because that's $200 million, by the way, $6.2 billion is $200 million, six, $6 billion, $200 million. That's some real money. That at least some of it has been swept into some black ops budgets and things like that. I have no doubt about that. Um, did our government give uh, the Wagner folks money to cause this to happen? I don't know, but my gut is they probably had something to do with it. Don't you think? Don't you think? I mean, you know what would make that all go away? Explain where the $6 billion is. How do you just lose? I don't know where it went. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. And Biden sent him like another five hundred million this week. This is what may have happened, and I am totally spitballing here. I have no sources to confirm any of this. Sometimes I do, and I always disclose when I do. And what I never disclose a source, but the title. I have nothing on this. But my gut on this is that we instigated this. There was money involved. Now. At his office, again, this guy, Petrov or whatever his name is, uh, they found about $50 million. Now, it was actually rubles, but $50 million is a lot of money, and it was supposedly to pay his truth. So that's a lot of money to be sitting in your office. That's a lot of money to be sitting in your office, isn't it? That's a lot of money to just be sitting in an office. I'm sure it was in a safe or something, but... 50 million, it was 48 million in change. Just round it up to 50 million. It was like a billion something ruples. Something, I'm just saying, something doesn't quite seem right here. And when this was going on on Saturday, I was sitting around, screwing off, talking to my wife. We were listening to music, reading books, et cetera. And I was also talking on social media. And I said, something's not right. And, of course, I was attacked because, well, it's easy to just say something's going to happen. Well, I said, well, something's not right. This doesn't make any sense to me. And here's why it didn't make any sense to me. If this was anything close to what they were claiming, the Wagner group is going to go to Moscow and get Putin and kill him and take over, right? If there was anything close to that, this, this group did have some ground-to-air capability, but very, very minimal. This is a – this is a – Force on force infantry type unit. Okay, this is not this is not somebody running around with SAMs and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, if they really thought these guys were the threat that they're saying that they are, then like one squadron of, of MiG 35s, and it's 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 the highway of death from Iraq all over again. You can't move armor and columns without air support against an enemy who has air support. They will annihilate you. They will annihilate, I mean, they will annihilate you. So 
that was the thing that I'm going some unless the Air Force has flipped on Putin is what I said. And I, you know, I said they could, but I this doesn't seem like that's what this is. And the fact that this dude ain't dead yet, I just feel like something was something was worked out. And it's not just the president of Belarus got involved and fixed it all. That's nice. That's a nice cover story. But what I want to kind of do right now, for those that are in the chat anyway, I want to bring up this. I'm not going to play it. It's a, it's mostly people speaking Russian. And this is Patrick Lancaster's channel. Patrick Lancaster is a journalist that does a journalist job. Now, a lot of people don't like him because he comes off pro-Russian because he's embedded with Russian troops. But he's been embedded with Russian troops for nine years. Nine years. And he shows you what's going on, what he sees and what people are saying. Real journalism. And this is the this is the Wagner group. Heading back. So what happened, if you missed this, is this this um, force is is driving to Moscow up a Russian highway. And all of a sudden, they just stop. They do a 180 and head back to their bases under orders of the leader of the organization. And then it comes out the Belarusian uh, president, you know, brokered the deal between uh, Putin and this guy. And then it came out that the defense minister of Russia was resigning because that was one of the main complaining uh, things that was going on with this is that um, he wanted he wanted the defense minister gone. He, he had blamed him for a lot of the things that were wrong. And uh, so then these Wagner guys, when they're leaving, if you look at what's going on here, this is inside Russia. That's why you see people with Russian flags and they're chanting. And I, I don't have the audio on, but I can tell you that this this chanting is not anger. This is not anger that these people have. These people are celebrating these guys. They're cheering for them on their way back to their bases. Now, supposedly. A few hours ago, they were all domestic terrorists and they were all going to be killed and everything. And the people here are cheering for them just a couple hours later as they leave. And if you want to watch the whole video, I encourage you to. You can you can read the subtitles as, as it goes and what have you. I just didn't think it would work out very well here to put the audio on it. Um, but this, if you were to ask somebody what it looks like inside Russia right now, I bet you that what you're seeing here is not what would come to their mind. And I think it's really important, whether you like this Patrick Lancaster guy or not, I think if you want to start understanding what's going on in the world, you need to start looking at other sources of information. You should probably read the articles that are on, for instance, RT. Now, when I say that, that's Russia Today. When I say that, people always say, Jack, that's their propagandist media thing. Yeah, just like CNN, MSNBC, and Fox are ours. You get a better picture when you read everybody's propaganda of the truth, then when you read one side's propaganda of the supposed truth. Okay. And I think you should get as much information as you can, but this doesn't look like what you're being told Russia is. And I'm sure you wouldn't want to see tanks in our street or anything, but these people don't seem to care. And they seem pretty happy that these guys are going back to the fight. And, and, and the, the big thing here has always been to understand that whatever you think is going on, one thing you can know, and there's only really one thing you can know, whatever you're told is not the whole truth. It isn't. It never has been. And it never will be. And when 
I posted this thing about the story. I had this one guy get really upset with me on Nostra. He said, what of that do you think isn't true? I'm like, well, the, this dude got Trump elected. That would be what. But like, I'm like, why do you know it's true? Because the TV told you. So he turns around and posts a link to Wikipedia that shows all those things are true. Again, like, it's not just a copy of the media. It's it's all a joke, guys. And all you're left with is can you figure out what actually is going on? And is it important enough to your life that you take the time to do it? In this case, I think it is because I do think we're still jacking around with other nuclear powers. And we have a very precarious situation that could turn into a global war. And that is not good for anybody. And that's at least a storm we should keep an eye on on the radar. So that's that's why I'm bringing it up. But you're never going to get the truth about this stuff. Now, this is one of those areas where I'm not going to come out and say, this is what happened. Like, even when I say, like, I think this happened, but I'm pretty sure. Like, I won't even do that. Like, when the pipeline got blown up, I'm like, well, we did it. We did it. And, you know, like a year later, after making the ridiculous accusation, Putin blew up his own pipeline. That was dumb. And I have to explain why that is dumb. Then you're not capable of understanding why it's dumb. You're really not. I, I can't do it anymore. Right. But that was dumb. And now it's like, but the Ukrainians did it. We didn't do it. The Ukrainians did it. Okay, I don't think the Ukrainians have the technology for the type of sabotage that this was. They couldn't have done it, if at all, without help from U.S. assets. I'm sorry. The only people in the theater other than us that I think really could have pulled it off would have been the British, which I don't have any indication that they had anything to do with it. Or the Germans. And I know they didn't do it because they were pissed. And if the Ukrainians did it, then the Ukrainians attacked a NATO ally. Like, this is all a mess. But we know that we had something to do with it. We know that we stand to gain the most from it. And we know we were lied to right from the beginning because the explanation given Putin did it is so preposterously ridiculous. Only a guilty party would make the claim. Okay? This is not that cut and dry. Now, I will tell you that I think, I don't think the CIA gave the Wagner Group $6 billion. Even if the CIA managed to get their hands on all of that money for black ops, no one would spend that much money on one thing, especially without a redundancy. The Wagner Group commander said that his people were fired on by Russian forces, and that's part of what finally set this 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 drive for justice or whatever off. Do you think maybe some guys from the United States pretending to be Russians might have fired shots if they actually happened? I don't know, but it's not. It wouldn't put it past us. I think there was some level of shit ass grabbing going on between Wagner and RCIA, whether it just didn't work out, whether the guy lost his nerve or whether the reason he's still breathing and he wasn't immediately eviscerated when this all started is because he told Putin that it was happening and there was some sort of psyop within Russia going, here's a possible scenario. I know this seems this is going to seem ridiculous because I have nothing to base it on. But when I look at it and go looking at it tactically and everything that did and didn't happen and the, and the, and the, the morale and the supply levels of the Wagner group before this, did we just watch a movement of troops 
that would have been very, very much an opportunity if it had been done any other way for the Ukrainians to strike that those troops inside Russia because they weren't that far from the border, if you look at a map. And did these guys just drive halfway, three-quarters of the way to Moscow, completely resupply at some point, and head back all loaded up with more money and supplies to fix their problem? Under the cover of, boy, we better all sit back and let this play out, because especially if we thought we had the ace in the hole. And what amazed me is in the middle of this, for about 20 minutes, the media started telling the truth about the front in Ukraine. And I heard more than one analyst say the last month when it came to the Ukrainian objectives of, of pushing the Russians out have been an absolute disaster for Ukraine. An absolute disaster. Like I literally heard them say exactly that. And I'm like, wow. Well, why? Because all of a sudden they think this coup's going to get pulled off. Russia's going to get plummeted into civil war internally and they're going to collapse and head out of there. And now we can say, you know, now we're starting to build up the whole salvation of the Wagner division or something out of this. And now, oh, they're all bad guys again. It was like the chip got changed in the NPC brain three times on Saturday. It was, it was pretty comical to watch. But that's all I can see here. Like the most plausible explanation is there was some reason they wanted to move these troops. We're like, well, they shot down a Russian helicopter. Did they? Say they did. You think Russia wouldn't shoot down one of their own helicopters to, to provide cover for this? Or did it really happen that way? Even if you decided to do something a certain way and not everybody, you wouldn't be able to tell everybody. So maybe other people that didn't know messed things. I don't know. But it seems to me like you got to move this very large force with, co with a cover story. And you completely put the other side back on their heels with it. And again, where did this six billion six billion billion dollars go? And the answer is I don't know. But uh I, I really think that uh that there there's some real chicanery going on with this one. And it's up to you to decide for yourself what you believe, because the only thing I know is the official story isn't true. That's the only thing I know. Now, how much of it is, I don't know. And how much can we surmise about what happened? Again, I don't know. But this one is, it's not as, like again, I said, it's not as cut and dry as the pipeline or when the, when Ukrainians blew up the dam and they said the Russians, they're like, it's obvious, liars. Like you immediately know that's bullshit. Again, those two things were such stupid theories that only a guilty person would officially use them. This one, not sure. Next up though, I want to talk about something called the taller drill or the 21 foot drill, uh, or the, some people call it the 21 foot rule. There is no 21-foot rule. You can't have anything like this be a rule because when you have something that involves dynamics of living beings, there is no hard rule. So let's talk about the genesis of this, genesis of this in the first place. I believe the guy was like a Utah State Police officer or something like that. He did a, a, a Tretia white paper, a summary, something to that effect. And he, through research and, and looking at real-world incidents, Wanted a way to say, well, if I have a gun as a law enforcement officer 
and my suspect has an edged weapon, a knife. At what distance between me and that person is my weapon no longer so superior that I can afford not to shoot him if I think he's going to make a move? And the number that they came up with was 21 feet. And even if you are an old 50-year-old dude like me with giant legs that can't run fast, you can close the gap on 21 feet really, really quick. Okay, so I think that there is some there is some reality that a person with an edged weapon inside 21 feet poses a threat to you, even if you have a gun. In fact, it all depends, as we're going to get into and how this drill should actually or how this rule or drill or fact should actually be taught by tactical instructors. But this was designed to be able to go into a court of law. Say, I, I had my gun on this guy. I gave him an order to stop. He came at me because he was within this distance. He was a threat to my life, so I had to use lethal force. That's the purpose of it. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit more and realize it's not for you unless you're a cop. And all of a sudden it gets like written into um, TV shows and movies and shit. Right. And just don't, I can't remember what it was, but there was one like made for TV series or something where the dude was explaining it to the cop and the cops like, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this. And the guy runs at him and he goes to pull his gun and the guy would have got him, but he falls in a hole and stabs himself through the throat in the hole before he gets to him. Uh, like all of it got like rubbed in and then the tactical trainers got their hands on it. And there's some great tactical trainers and there's some OK ones and there's some shitty ones. And then the YouTube world got their hands on it. And the idea became, we'll take a guy and we'll put the weapon on in his holster and he'll be holstered and he'll stand and the opponent will stand at 21 feet. And of course, this is a training gun and a training knife where nobody's going to get hurt. And then somebody will give the command or the guy that has the fake knife, when he makes the move, the guy with the gun will try to respond. And what generally happens is the dude stands flat-footed, tries to get his gun out, and before he can get the gun out, and he's all focused on the gun, and this is part of what you could actually learn from the drill if it were taught right, the dude with the knife comes in, puts his hand over the guy's hand as he's trying to draw his weapon, and stabs the shit out of him with the fake knife. Now, there's a couple, and then it ends. Okay, there's a couple problems with this. One, if I have a gun and you stab me, I'm still going to shoot you a lot. I'm going to shoot you until I'm out of ammo. You've stabbed me. I'm going to kill you. Now, you might get me in a place where I can't. I'm so injured I can't. But most people that are hit with a stab or a slice survive. By the way, most people that are shot with a handgun also survive. When they're shot like 14 times in the face at point-blank range, they tend not to. So that's already a big issue. That's already a big issue. This whole idea that if I touch you with a knife, I win is stupid. There's also the psychology involved. Now, you got a guy roided up. He's infuriated. He believes in himself, whatever. There are people who will charge a guy with a gun with a knife. That happens. We've seen it happen. It usually doesn't work out very well for the guy with the knife, by the way. Because what would the law enforcement officer be doing at this point? I've got the suspect. I have got the weapon out. It's not in my holster. And if it isn't out, no one says, hey, we're about to do this. It comes out of nowhere. Now, there's some instructors, they do it differently. They have two people stand back to back. They, when they, when they click a time, and they click the, the start 
uh, button, right? The, 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 like an alarm, right? You have to get a shot off before that person makes 21 feet just running away from you. A good, clean shot at a target. Like, there's a lot of ways this gets done. But all of this is, again, predisposed on this freaking idea that you're going to stand there looking at each other. Like, this is not how violence occurs, especially for non-law enforcement personnel. Okay? You're not a cop. You're not going to be called on your radio and drive up to a place and see some dude with his shirt off screaming and yelling and threatening to kill people with a machete. That's not what you do. And if you do get involved in that situation, you basically point a gun at the guy and say, put that shit down. And if he doesn't, you shoot him. You're under no obligation. Now, depending on where you live, that may not be the case. But in a lot of the country, like, that's just clean. Like, Texas, what was going on? The guy had a machete. He was trying to kill people. What did this guy shot him? Okay, give him a pat on the head, send him home. Now, don't, don't take that to be just that simple in of itself. If you've not taken Masada Yub's course um, on the use of force, I think you should. If you if you haven't done that and you haven't ever listened to the interview I did with him, you should at least do that. Right. So don't let me make that. But what my point is, is as an armed citizen, your confrontation with a person is different. You're not sent out with an order. Go put handcuffs on this guy and bring him back to a cage. Now, here's what the, the drill should teach us outside of law enforcement. We set that up. Put your gun in your holster. Give this guy a rubber knife. He stabs you before you get your gun out. You know what you just learned? Your gun doesn't make you fucking Superman. That's what you should have learned. This is nothing to do with knives, by the way. This has to do with the fact that having a gun doesn't guarantee you that you'll win. It's a great asset in a fight. If you have time to deploy it. You want me to show you how this works in the real world? I don't need a knife. I can go down to a hardware store. About 10 bucks and buy a ball-peen hammer. You can be Delta Force trained special operator, but I want you dead for whatever reason. Maybe I want to steal your shoes. You're walking down the street. Yeah. You have no reason to believe anybody's bothering you. I walk up behind you and I hit you right in the back of the head with that ball-peen hammer. 99% of the time, you are dead. If you aren't instantly dead, you are instantly disabled. I have seen photos the results of a wound of somebody hit in the head with a ball pin hammer. It goes through the skull like it's not there. Now, when I put this online this weekend, so you say, I've seen people lose half their head and survive. There's always exceptions to every rule. My point is, if somebody wants you dead and they're willing to kill you and they initiate force, they go first, you are likely to lose. And this is true. Guy walking down the street, somebody wants to steal his shoes. This is true in a global military conflict. Look at all of the wars in history. Inevitably, the nation that does the attacking tends to win, at least for the time. People say, well, Germany did it, and then they lost. Germany lost when they no longer had an offense to go on, and they had to become the defenders. Normandy was an offensive maneuver. D-Day was an offensive maneuver. The attacker, the time, the place, and the means of the attack. So whether it's two nations or 20 nations, 10 on each side, or it's two people, the attacker tends to win. A little bit of humor, not exactly perfect to match, but there is some truth in humor in stupid movies. Spaceballs. 
Spaceballs. Remember Dark Helmet tells Lone Star? And now you will see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb. Right? Everybody remembers that that's watched it, especially I think guys like those kind of movies more than, than women do. But there's a truth in that because bad guys are the people who tend to attack. Because I just told you what I did. It doesn't mean you could start walking around and looking at people and going, that guy looks squirrely, bang, and shoot him. You can't do that. You're the good guy. Bad guys attack and initiate attack. What the 21-foot drill or rule or whatever you want to call it really teaches you is the gun does not make you invincible. And your situational awareness should be high at all times. But it is something that was designed for law enforcement Training, yes, but more than that, it was really designed to justify the use of lethal force on somebody with a non-firearm weapon. That's what it was designed to do. And it's not that there's no, there's no truth to it, because there is. There is a critical distance. But you know what that critical distance? If I weigh 250 pounds and you weigh 130 pounds, and I'm a good fighter and you're not, I don't even need, do I need a knife? Do I need a knife to take your own gun away from you, hold you on the ground by your throat, and club you to death with it? The answer is no, I don't. Now, if you get that gun out on me and you shoot me, you might stop me. Do you know how many people have been shot once, twice, three times and continued the attack? A lot. Where, when, how? Okay, 21 feet. 21 feet what? Is there a car between us? Is there a desk between us? Are you injured? Am I injured? What's the, what's the terrain like? Are you running uphill, downhill? Do I have to stand still like they do in the drill? Right? You, when you watch somebody break the drill and win, you know what always happens? The guy with the gun moves backwards and creates distance and gets off the X and buys that extra second to get the, the weapon deployed. You want to see how stupid this drill really is, though? What did I say? The person that initiates the attack has the advantage. Tell the, tell the knife guy, put your knife in your scabbard. Stand there. Be the good guy with the knife, and he's the bad guy with the gun. When he tries to shoot you, go get him. And the knife guy will lose as often as the gun guy loses the other way around because the person doing the initiation, right? Again, you're not a cop. You're not called out to a scene. You don't have 20 buddies behind you. You don't have dogs and tasers. You don't roll up on scene, throw the lights on. You're walking down the street. Somebody wants you dead. You got a problem. The truth of this drill is that it shows you how vulnerable you are. Do you think that somebody that wants to harm you with a knife is going to be like, hey, all right, I got the knife. I'm inside 21 feet. You better do what I say. Or do you think they're going to walk up behind you and put it in your kidneys? Or walk up behind you and stick it a little bit into you so it hurts, but you're not dead yet because they want your wallet. And the answer is you don't ever know what's going to happen. But the fundamental rule is if somebody wants you dead and they're willing to kill you, odds are you're dead. Odds are you're dead. If I want you, if I was a bad guy and I want you dead and I know where to find you, you really think that you have any chance whatsoever? If you don't, especially if you don't know that I'm after you, you don't know who I am. For whatever reason, I've decided I want you gone. Think about it this way. The president of the United States, surrounded by Secret Service, we still had successful assassinations on presidents. Now, let's not do the JFK one because there's a lot of, uh, I would say, legitimate conspiracy talk around that, right? Look at the one that didn't work, but almost did, Reagan. 
John the, 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 Reagan is surrounded by Secret Service. Now, I know Secret Service today is better security than it did in 1980. I get that. But what, secure, what Secret Service was able to do in 1980 for a president, you don't have that today. I don't care if you are a multimillionaire with your own private bodyguard. You don't have anywhere near the level of security Ronald Reagan had in 1980. Hinckley got a 22, little revolver, walks up to Reagan and other people with him and just shoots everybody. If that bullet had been a couple millimeters to one side, Ronald Reagan would have died that day. Ronald Reagan came in. Now, so if Ronald Reagan, surrounded by Secret Service, was able to be shot on live television, you really think if somebody decides I'm getting this person, that you don't have a serious problem? And this is something that, again, why don't people want to hear this? Because people want to believe, well, I went to my martial arts training. I got my concealed carry permit. I pay attention. I'm good. Are you? Are you? Evil will triumph because good is dumb. There is some truth in that because evil takes the initiative. Evil attacks. Good only defends. And that's not that the good guy is wrong or dumb. Right. It's a joke. It's from a freaking stupid movie about, you know, a, a riff on Star Wars. Right. Um, but that is the fact. And it does mean that in some situations, once the threat is known, you might need to take the initiative in some way that might be really risky, but it may be the only shot you have. You know, we have these shooting scenarios where like just one idiot with a handgun walking around in a building shooting people and everybody's just cowering. It's insane. There's a point where you have to figure out how do I fight back. And the rules in those situations are what? In order. Run, hide, fight. So the whole hide, that's after you try to get out. The first thing you do is you get the out. If you can't get out, then you take up a, a, a position with cover and concealment. That's the hide part. But the next thing that that mind of yours should be doing is how can I kill this son of a bitch? And if people thought that way, if people were taught to think that way, and this is the official, I mean, even the government agencies, that's where that came from. That's a government agency that came up with the run, hide, fight. But yet, no one's actually trained that way. So just understand, when you hear the 21-foot rule, it, it's the problem is you're taking something designed for law enforcement for use in a court of law to defend an officer's actions or the use of lethal force, and you're trying to apply it to some guy walking down the street carrying a gun. And it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And honestly, most of the time that a gun is used effectively to deter a confrontation or to end one. So either the very pre most of the time, the presence of the gun in the situation, the other side's like, OK, whoa, <laughs> I don't think so. I'm out of here. Right. And then if it doesn't work out that way, then getting shot tends to change somebody's opinion really quick about what's going on. Right. Most of the scenarios are standoff scenarios. They're not some guy jumped out and like three guys jumped on you, tried to kill you to steal your money. And you managed to pull your gun out and shoot all three of them like like freaking John Wick or something. That's not how it, that's not how that usually works. What started this whole thing off when I did an article on it that I posted on Nostra was somebody posted a video and it was clearly from another country. But there's a guy in a pickup road rage thing, guy in a pickup, guy in a car. Guy gets out of the pickup with a freaking machete. Right. And he's screaming and yelling like an idiot. 
And he's going over to the guy's car, and the guy opens the door and points the gun at him. He yells a little bit more, but he immediately starts going backwards, yeah, gets back in his truck and hauls ass. Now, why? Because 21-foot rule, my ass, when I'm here with the gun out and you're standing there with your blade in your hand. There's a big difference between a holstered weapon in a concealed environment where i got to get my shirt up, I've got to get clear, I've got to bring the weapon to bear. You've got all the time it takes me to do that. And right in this draw point, if you can close that gap and put this down, this is a very weak position to be in. And that's why I'd want to take a step back. But if I'm in my car, I can't take a step back. So what the guy in the car did is he got the gun out before he opened the freaking door. And when the guy was still not getting the hell out of there, he stepped out of the car. And dude's like, okay, I see this is serious. Now I'm out of here. Most scenarios that play out where the guy that's the good guy wins, it's something to that effect. It's this guy is actually attacking that guy. And the good guy over here with the gun stops it. Because that guy has a real problem now. I've got his, I've got a six. I've got a clean shot at his back. You better drop the damn thing or whatever it is you're doing because you're going to get, you're going to get clocked. But I know some trainers that teach this way and I know most of them don't. And if yours doesn't, find a new one. Find a new one. We are not soldiers, guys. Even some of us were former, I'm a former soldier. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm a civilian now. I live in this world. My rules of engagement are pretty clear. They're pretty clear. And I don't have backup. I don't have somebody I can radio in and call. I don't have air support. Neither do you. I'm not running around in a tactical kit all the time. I don't have body armor on. Fantasy land stuff, guys. Moving on. Let's talk about this thing, this totally different thing. The CEOs of the world have decided, this is in Fortune magazine, um, that everybody needs to go back to work. And... The article in Fortune is the definition, the, the forced return to the office is the definition of insanity. The basics of this article are ever since we did this, we have happier workers and higher productivity. OK. And then on top of that, times are tough. So even with happier workers and higher productivity, Everybody that has a few dozen people or more working for them, if they surveyed in this, said, I am under more pressure than I ever have been to do more with the people I have than I'm already doing. I, I, like we have pushed productivity as high as it's ever been, and I'm still under pressure for more productivity. But they know if you make the person come back to the office, that their productivity will go down. But they want everybody back in the office. And in this article, there is this line right here for those that are on the video. The myth of the magical office. Many CEOs are clinging to the false belief that the office is a secret sauce of productivity. It's as if they think the office is a productivity vending machine and certain employees receive increased output. But the data tells a different story. Do you know what offices lead to? Meetings. Meetings. That's what offices lead to meetings. I, I can't think of the guy who said this, but there was a guy, uh, a writer that said that the more a person likes meetings, the less productive they are. And he had a whole bunch of shit that he came down on people with meetings. Basically, if you were into meetings, you probably should be fired. And, and there are places and times for meetings, but 
I, I have to tell you, in all the meetings I was ever in in my professional career, almost none of them were necessary. Almost none of them were necessary. And I know we've all had this, like you're in a meeting and there's a conversation going on. There's 10 highly paid people sitting at a table and there's two people having a conversation that doesn't affect the other eight. I mean, anybody that's ever lived, lived an office life for any length of time of, of any significance and position, you've had that experience. You know what? I If I had to have a meeting when I was in charge of shit, if that started happening, I'd be like, stop. Don't say another word or you're both fired. This doesn't apply to anybody. So you guys take this outside the room. But when I wasn't in charge, I sat through dozens of meetings going, I'm bored as shit. Nothing here. Nothing here matters to me. One job I had, I was in sales, structured cabling company. And this was a cool place to work, by the way. And the owners were all in the guns. They had a deer lease we could go hunt at. You could bring guns into work for like gun show and tell. It was a cool place to work. So what I did isn't something that would cause the HR care and the fire me or anything. We're sitting at this meeting and I'm looking at the ops manager and I'm looking at the, 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 the president and I'm just like, I'm ready to kill myself. And I thought, you know what? Time for a joke. I reached in my pocket. I had a, a bullet in my pocket. I don't even remember why I took the bullet and I put it up against my head. I started tapping the primer with my finger. And the, the office manager or the ops manager goes, okay, I get it. I get it. We need to end this. That's, that's what you get from offices. You know what else you get from offices? People standing around talking to each other, doing absolutely nothing in break rooms, drinking coffee, you know, taking 55 minute bathroom, uh, breaks. Offices are not magical productivity environments. They really aren't. But I think a lot of, a lot of people that are in positions of power and authority today, I think it's part of the problem. It's part of the problem in that they have a need to feel that they're in power, that they have oversight, that they have control. And remember how I said during the lead up to this that it actually shows why most companies can't market worth a shit at the same time? And it does. And so especially in the modern world, we have like marketing pre-Internet and marketing post-Internet, and they're very, very different. Marketing pre-internet was pretty much print, radio, that was it, TV, print, print, radio, video. That was all you had. Video was on television. Print was in a magazine or a billboard, right? And you had radio. That's all you had. And there was a limit to how many access points there were to get information. You can only see a billboard on a road, but there's only so many roads you can drive on. People drive on the same road every day. There's the billboard. You see it every day. It starts to have an impact on you. Especially when you're just listening to like, you know, the, the sounds of the sounds of the 80s on your radio or something like that. You're not really engaged in another way. Now, all of a sudden you're listening to a podcaster over your radio using, you know, a, a smartphone and you're not really paying attention to the billboards anymore. You're definitely not paying attention to the guy on the radio and you have like it's a different world. And it, we went from everything that was done from a marketing standpoint was pull. We pulled you in and we did it by pushing out information. So there was one point of push and that was the marketing department for whatever company we're talking about. He pushed out information on a billboard, on a radio, whatever. And the user never pulled, right? They didn't pull. You pulled them in with your marketing if you're lucky. But the user wasn't out trying to find you unless, you know, my sink's leaking. I need a plumber open yellow pages. That's about the only kind of, you know, the user pulling the information that there was. 
Now, users push and pull information all over the place. Your thing is cool. It ends up on Telegram or it ends up on Twitter or TikTok. And all of a sudden, it's all over the place. We called it what? Viral marketing. Viral marketing. Well, these companies, when I was a consultant, and you would talk to them, and we want to go viral. Okay, well, let's talk about some ways we can do that. And as soon as you started to lay it out, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Well, what if somebody does this? What if somebody says that? How do we control this? And I'm like, oh, you want to go viral, and you want to control it. Yes. Okay, so I can't help you, and you should get somebody else that will lie to you and take your money. And you just dumb look. Well, you're not going to control it. It's the same thing. The reason they want to pull these people back in the office is not because they actually believe that it will make things better. They want to control people. And the type of person that Ray, you know, rises up to the highest levels in these companies is a person that has some sociopathy. They want to control other people. They're like politician lights. In some ways, they're like they actually crave power more than politicians and are smart enough to figure out that they actually have more power in a corporate environment or a bureaucratic environment. There's no need for this. And they won't learn, and they'll do it, and it will cause a problem to become worse. And the other situation you have right now, there's a lot of companies that are doing this, and there's a lot of companies that are like, we like this new way. Well, if you're an employee and you don't want to go back to your office and you have a good skill set, there's a lot of companies trying to find people right now. So for right now, we are still in a situation where the employee is in power. There's a labor shortage for a lot of things and not just crap jobs. That's changing though. That's changing. But in the meantime, you know, you always have the opportunity to, uh, to improve your situation if your employer is an idiot. And I can tell you as someone who's worked remotely for a lot of my life, my productivity never went down because I worked from home. Never. In fact, I was seldom home because when you're in sales, you're out in the field. Anyway, next up um, is if we need more bad news, the German central bank, may be in need of a bailout. Now, I, I think it's important to understand what we're talking about here. Germany's Federal Reserve may need a bailout. Not a big bank in Germany. Germany's equivalent to the Federal Reserve. Now, what happened with the EU formation was the member nations all had their own central bank, and they stayed in place, and the EU became more like the Fed. So when I say it's like Germany's Fed, it's not quite because the EU is really the e European Central Bank is really like more like Germany's Fed. But this is the National Bank of Germany might need a bailout from the EU uh, Central Bank. And again, Germany's the wealthiest country in Europe. So imagine that the United States, Mexico and Canada became this giant conglomerate. What was that called? Years ago, there was a theory that it was all going to happen. Bush signed it in the law or some shit, uh, North American Union or whatever. And we and the United States Federal Reserve gets in such shit that we say, hey, we need a, a bailout from the North American Central Bank. When we're relying on Germ, I mean, I'm sorry, Canada and Mexico. It's fine because they just print more money. But I was like, I wonder how ChatGPT would explain this. And. I want to read to you. I, I said to ChatGPT, and I'm, I'm using a plugin called WebPilot. I've been asked about some of the plugins I use. That's one that I found really to be very useful. I said, explain this to me like I'm in fifth grade. And I dropped the link in, and because I have the plugin, 
uh, ChatGPT can actually go out and grab the article. Now, I have a link to this article for you in the show notes today. It goes to archive.org because it's got a paywall, and that's one of the ways around paywalls. But let me tell you what ChatGPT said when I said, explain this to me, like I'm in fifth grade. It said, okay, imagine you have a piggy bank where you keep all your savings. Now, let's say you start giving out loans to your friends using the money from your piggy bank, and they promise to pay you back with a little extra. This little extra is like the interest. But then you start giving out more money than you have. So you begin to make pretend money and give that out too. This pretend money is like when a bank prints more money. Now your friends are having a hard time paying you back because they don't have enough money. So you're not getting back the money you gave out and the money you're, and, and you're not getting the extra money they promised either. This is similar to what's happening with the German central bank. They gave out a lot of money, like buying bonds, but now they're not getting enough back. Also, because you gave out so much pretend money, the money that your friends do have is worth less than before. This is like inflation. Well, this is inflation. It's not like. The German central bank is now in a bit of trouble because they might not have enough money to cover their losses. They have some savings set aside, but it might not be enough in the future. They're saying they'll be okay and they'll make up for the losses with future profits. But some people are worried. Meanwhile, the business climate in Germany is not doing so well, which means companies are not as confident about the economy. This is making it even harder for the German central bank. What I loved about this, and this is not, hey, chat GPT knows everything. But it's a again, ChatGPT is not artificial intelligence in the way that you've been trained in your mind to believe about artificial intelligence. It is not sentient. It doesn't think for itself. It doesn't make its own decisions. It is a large language model. That's what it's. It's an LLM. And it creates the illusion of intelligence by being conversational and being so flexible in what it can do for you. But that puts it into these constraints. So when you say, I need you to find words to explain this situation to me like I'm in fifth grade, and it now has to execute that command, the only words that it can find to explain what we do with fractional reserve banking that the whole world's economy runs on right now is to call it what? Pretend money. Because that's what it is. And I think that this is... One of the good uses of something like ChatGPT, because it can break through, because what happens is the average person walks around with a giant vocabulary, right? And we do have giant, I mean, even dumb humans, we have huge vocabularies. We, a lot of people use words. Remember the thing from what was a Princess Bride? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Like you all the time. And it's especially in certain niches, like, you know, keto and somebody learns a word like, gluconeogenesis, and all of a sudden they're a doctor and a PhD all wrapped up in one, and they know more than you because they knew a long, multisyllable word, and they even sort of know what it means. Normally they don't understand the application of it, but they know the word. So when people get a rudimentary economics education, like in college, where they basically teach you what they want you to know instead of the way things really are, and they understand words like fractional reserve, and they know what that means, when they realize that the only thing that you can use to explain it to somebody in simple language is a term like pretend money, it starts to crack 
this artificial confidence that they've given themselves in that, oh, it'll all work because listen to all these fancy sounding words. And this is, again, this is one of the, yeah, inconceivable, Kelly, that's it. That was the word in the show. Inconceivable. You keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. Um, yeah, we have people like that all the time. And most of them are on TV with the title expert or something, some credential underneath their name and telling you why you don't have to worry about your money or something like that. But when you when you take the same fancy words and you give it to a large language model and you say, um, I'll get to hating it in a minute, Aaron. I'll get to hating it. And then Aaron says, what is this? Jack's talking about Princess Bride without saying how much he hates it. Inconceivable. Yeah, I, I think it was a terrible movie. You guys made me. I, I literally got I got DVD bombed. Right. Like, I don't know who's behind. I think Nick Ferguson was behind it. But all of a sudden I started getting DVDs of Princess Bride in the mail from people I didn't even know. I ended up with like 30 of them. And finally I'm like, oh, if you stop this, I'll watch it. There was like, wasn't it great? I'm like, not nah, suck. Um, I did watch it again with my grandkids and they sort of liked it. It was, it did have funny parts, but the overall thing was kind of dumb. Anyway, um, now I'm, now I'm lost. Okay. Again, large language model. When you say explain this to me in a way that I can understand it, all it has is pretend money. Your whole, your whole planet right now runs on pretend money. And so when you hear me talk about Bitcoin, you get all the ass. And when you hear me you hear me talk about things like precious metals, and you're like, I don't need, need that either. You better have something because this is the question I asked at the beginning, and, and I'll try to answer it, my view on it now. Where are we in the life cycle of this fiat system? I think we are. It is geriatric. It has Alzheimer's. It has four comorbidities and it's been exposed to a respiratory virus. It could live another 10 years, 15 years, but everybody would be surprised and it would be walking around crapping its pants if it made it that long, if not laying on a board with a machine keeping it alive. That's where we are. It's, it's, it's long past senior citizenhood. It's long past drawing Social Security. It's long past asking for its pension money. It's in an assisted living facility. That's that's where our economic system is at this point. And it will not just dry up and go away. It will convert into something else. It will probably be driven by digital money and central bank digital currency. Now, this isn't as imminent as people think. People act as if the only reason, the only reason that we don't have a CBDC yet is because they can't figure out how to do it. There's a thousand shit coins you could clone and make a CBDC tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's not hard. The technology exists. It could be done almost instantly. You could roll out into the banking system a one-year plan. You have to convert to this. Bank account numbers will become addresses for digital currency. Like, it's there's no technological hurdle here at all. The problem is... Unless you change something else, the problem that we have doesn't go away. Just changing how the money moves doesn't fix the pretend money problem. There has to be some sort of a rebasis in this. And the truth is, for all of the talk, they don't have a freaking clue how to do that. They have no idea how to do that, and they suffer from 
You want to talk about artificial intelligences. Real artificial intelligence is when a person thinks they're smart and they're actually stupid. They can sound smart. They can use big words. They have fancy degrees. But when it comes right down to it, all they're doing is talking around the problem and they have no idea how to solve the problem. But they've convinced themselves that they're smart because they're secretary of something. That's that's right. Kelly says all it does is kick the can down the road. Yeah. But there is only so much road. And they have to rebase this. It could happen with uh, it could happen with Bitcoin. If I was if I was one of them. Even though it would reduce my power and control, if I actually wanted to save the system and I was like the chairman of the Fed or something like that, I would start putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet. I would print money that I get for free and I would convert it to Bitcoin and put it on the balance sheet. And people, oh, they'll never do it. I'd say they would do it. I said I would. You were supposed to be pro freedom. I, I had nothing to do with it. It's what I would do. And because there is no cost to acquire something that has real value in that model. They can print as much money as they want. They do it all the time. Why not buy something with it that will hold value? And you can guarantee its success if you do this. Do you understand that? Did it? It, I'm going to go ahead and take this question here because it, it, it plays into this. Some Aaron said, Jack, could you also give some thoughts on the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF? So Marty Bent, who I really respect, has said it's not really an ETF. It's actually more like a trust. Um, I'm not sure. I read the filing myself. Marty said it, in his opinion, it didn't have daily liquidity. Um, the way I read it, it did. And what they mean by liquidity is like, I have $50,000 in this thing and I want to convert it to cash. I put in an order and it converts from what I can see. It is, um, there's some hysteria around it. There's some conspiracy theory around it. BlackRock's going to come out with it. Then they're going to fork Bitcoin and adopt that fork because there's a thing in there that says, if it forks, we'll decide based on the situation which fork to pick up, and we could be wrong. That's that's standard, you know, filing with the SEC ass covering for something like this. Like, you have to say what you'll do in every conceivable scenario. So you have a lawyer look and say, hey, this thing split before it forked before. There's Bitcoin Cash, which is garbage. Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, which is garbage. But remember, when the hash wars happened, when the forks came, there were a lot of people that went all in. Bitcoin Cash was the real Bitcoin, and it was the one that's going to take over the whole world, and it didn't. It didn't. So they have to cover their ass with that. But the implications, any major thing like this sends Bitcoin in the direction of nothing but up, more so than it has throughout history. The wall of money that an ETF would introduce it immediately becomes something that could be in every single 401k and IRA. I know there's ways to do it now, but like it's everywhere all at once. There's massive amounts of institutions who have money that cannot buy Bitcoin. They can't do it. As soon as it goes in an exchange traded fund, they can. And they can't do it because they're charters that say what they do with their money are very specific to what they can and can't invest in. The way Michael Saylor got so much money to buy Bitcoin with is people got a lot of the money because they spent a lot of their own money on it, too. But they got a they got a lot of money from investors who wanted Bitcoin exposure. They couldn't buy Bitcoin, but they could buy debt. 
So they were willing to extend debt to buy Bitcoin with for a share in the return. That's how that happened. So I think that this is probably going to happen. This is probably the turn. And there's a weird piece. I'm going to turn this into a Bitcoin breakout here at the end. But there's a weird piece of this that I think people will have a hard time really uh, grokking, I guess. And that is, this looks like the least likely time for a Bitcoin ETF to get approved. Because of all the things that have happened, like Operation Choke Point 2.0 is what it seems like. But Gensler has signaled that this is all about basically crypto, not Bitcoin. The Gensler in particular views these as two separate asset classes. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Everything else is an unregistered security. And they might have to individually litigate that. But there's what's like, you know, like in kind that if they if they get a decision that this particular thing is a security and is backed up by the court system and the plaintiff loses. Yeah, I'm sorry. The defendant loses the plaintiff, this case being the SEC wins, then anything else that fits that model becomes the same. And there's a problem here for Ethereum. People think Ethereum will also be carved out. Yeah. What does Ethereum do? What does it do? It's like Bitcoin, but it's proof of stake. No, no. What is it? What does Bitcoin do? Bitcoin enables transactions between people. That's what it does. It's primarily used. You buy it and you hold it or you spend it and you spend it in a peer to peer arrangement. That's what it does. What does Ethereum do? People don't use Ethereum like that. I know some people, somebody just bought MSB with Ethereum, so it can be done, but it's not really what it does. Ethereum makes shit coins. It is the mother asshole from which all shit coins spring. That's what it is. So they do have a lot of money, and they could become compliant with whatever the SEC comes out with and say, okay, we're an unregistered security. We will become a registered security. Fine. Here's the paperwork. Okay. And assuming they said, sure, what does Ethereum do? It enables ERC-20 tokens, which all would also be unregistered securities, and none of them have the war chest to comply with becoming a registered security. So its use case dies if this happens. So if there is a time, if there's ever been a time to get this done with Bitcoin in an ETF, for a company like BlackRock, it's right now. Everything else is about to be viciously attacked. I cannot tell you how viciously this attack is going to come. And if they ensconce, like once that, see, this is part of why they've drugged their feet. Once they say yes to this, then you have to have, like, we don't believe you have enough reserves or something. Tell anybody else they can't do it too. Once you, you can say no, 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 no. Just a hundred people you can say no to. Right? A hundred people you can say no to. hundred companies. No. One day you can magically say yes. But once you say yes, the genie's out. Now you have to give a compelling reason that another financial entity that has other ETFs they manage and has a track record of doing it wants to do the same thing and you're telling them no. But if BlackRock can get first mover advantage there, and this is the thing. Once these walls of money come down, say goodbye to all discussion about Bitcoin going to zero. It's over. It's over. It'll go up so fast that it'll make your head spin. It'll make the last bull run look like a joke. I'm not kidding. 
And so there is a tremendous opportunity here for these people. And the SEC almost never tells BlackRock no. Now, could it be all head fake? Yeah, maybe. But this idea that because they get a because they get an ETF, they're going to be able to take over Bitcoin. That comes from people that don't know how Bitcoin works. American legend says Jack CEOs today are clueless. I thrive at uh, work from home. Certain people do better. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But I think it's the big thing is they want control, like I said earlier. And uh, same person, American legend said Jack, Jack and Chat. Uh, great to be back on the Freedom Chat. I am ready to start making some changes. So I don't know why you had the uh, all caps on there. I'm going to real quick and see. Uh, to, um, Peyton says, so get out of my ether position, right? I don't know. You have to make your own decision about that. This is what I'd say you're looking at with Ethereum right now. How long before this all comes together and how long before the attack comes? And we're heading into a halving. And so if we can go another couple of years, and you have a significant position in ETH, you may be able to get out with a lot more. But what are you waiting on? That's the other, so that's the other side of it. So the other side of that is if I wait and let's say my ETH 2Xs from where it is right now, and I can get out at 2X or 3X, if Bitcoin 5Xs, you'd have been better off taking the move now. I don't have an answer for that. I would tell you this, what you already own Depending on what you paid for it, how you got it is one thing. What you do with you do with your money going forward is another. I wouldn't buy anything right now except Bitcoin. I wouldn't put another penny into anything. And I used to hold a lot of altcoins, shit coins, call them what you want. I have very little of anything but Bitcoin now. I have moved over and I have not looked back and I don't care. And if somebody says, well, one day, what if this shit coin is 10x? I don't care. I don't care. I've grown up. Okay, when it comes to this type of investment, I've grown up and matured and I consider Bitcoin the conservative approach. So that's where my money goes. I do have a significant piece of ETH still. And it's because I bought it when it was dropped on the Coinbase and it was 90 cents in ETH. And so there's a tax consequence to selling that. So I'm very careful about when and how I move some of that over. But if if I had the same amount of money today, I wouldn't go buy it. I wouldn't go buy it. No way. And uh, 229 mixes. So watch the ratio of Bitcoin to ETH and swap it when it looks good. I don't know. I, I can't give you an answer to this. Right. I can't give you an answer to this. An American uh, legend against this. Ethereum is an infrastructure coin. Unfortunately, it's being used to make shit coins for rug pulls. Yeah, but infrastructure of what? What does it do? Tell me one person that built something on ETH that's useful to people other than to swap one cryptocurrency into another or build an exchange or something like that, right? And you could say DAOs, 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 DAOs. Show me one functioning, working that is a company or an entity of any significant size that's paying its people, that's working like the dream of the DAO. And if you did, I would be able to show you really quick how it could be done much easier using Bitcoin Lightning. So I just, I don't, when people say it's an infrastructure, infrastructure for what? And I'm not picking on American legend here at all, but no one can ever answer that question for me. Infrastructure for what? When somebody says, what does Bitcoin do? It enables payments between parties. And then any way you want to do micropayments, high velocity, high frequency micropayments to low frequency, high security and what are considered expensive transactions. But they're really not expensive when you compare them to, let's say, doing business with a wire transfer. 
So I can see what Bitcoin does. And I and when somebody says, well, it's not backed by anything, it's backed by it's backed by security and energy. That's what it's backed by, which prevents counterfeiting. Right. And it's backed by the ability to self custody 100 percent. And this is this is Ethereum. And therefore, anything built on Ethereum and a lot of the Ethereum killers, I could say the same thing about. You can't really self custody these things. I don't care if it's on your hardware wallet. I don't care. Ethereum, the Ethereum Foundation can shut down the ability of any Ethereum account. It's very important that they're accounts, not addresses. It wants to, and it has done so. So you, you, you don't have custody of something if some, if I, well, you can't steal it. Well, I can't steal it, but I can make it where you can't use it. I can effectively burn your ether. Maybe I can't get custody of it, but I can make it to where it's useless to you. It's gone. It's stranded. It's forever. Uh, 4570 lever gun says, do I have a good first airsoft gun for a kid? I would just say on that, you need to be really careful when you put an airsoft gun in a kid's hand because you can take an eyeball out with an airsoft gun. Right. So there really isn't one that makes that not the case. Uh, I would tell you when it comes to training a young shooter, the spring airsoft guns where you cock it and you shoot it once and you cock it and you shoot again. They're probably the best because they lead to deliberate practice. So any of them and they're all about the same when you get into that. That's a very low end thing. You know, so what what do you carry? What will you have that kid shooting someday? And the funnest ones, of course, are going to be uh, the gas blowbacks, the gas blowbacks. Anyway, I need to wrap up, guys. Just understand, understand uh, what. Let's see right here. American legend said government is really going to make us pay unrealized gains regardless, which makes me look at silver. No, they're not going to make you pay unrealized gains. They can't. You don't have income until it's realized. You have to change the entire U.S. tax code. You can't do a carve out for one thing. That is not going to happen, not because they wouldn't do it, because the rich fuckers that design the system benefit from the system being the way that it is. And they don't want to give up that that thing either. You don't have a gain because you haven't converted it to anything else. That's not going to happen. Anyway, do need to wrap up, guys. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, remember one way you can always support the survival podcast and the work that we do is to do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I have an item of the day that I brought you last week. I'm bringing it again this week. It never really got featured by itself on the show. Uh, it's, a, it's a cheap little product. It is a fly trap to get rid of flies. This year, I don't know why, but the flies have been way worse than normal until we got these things. They go in your window. They just stick on the window pane. And they work really good. And for those in the video, you're about to see how good when we take a look inside them. Um, and they really, you know, they're kind of non-intrusive. Non they, if you look at the way they sit there in the window like that, they're just, I'm, I'm waiting here to get a pause button for everybody. See how many dead, nasty flies are in there. Um, they kind of just blend in, especially if you have white pane windows. They just kind of look like some kind of decoration or something like that. And, uh, man, I'm going to tell you right now, these things work really well. There's no poison, no toxins whatsoever in them. They don't even have any bait. All they are is a box with some openings that's shaped like a triangle, so they fit in the corner of a window. They have a little sticky tape on the back of them, and it is the one weakness. I have found that 
a lot of times it'll fall out of the window, put a piece of scotch tape on the back of it, it works just fine. They use the intrinsic characteristics of a fly. Fly gets in the window, he gets confused, he starts circumnavigating, they get down there, they're like, oh, what's this? They go in there, they get stuck, they can't get out. Once a couple go in, it smells like fly in there, the flies become their own bait, everybody goes in to see what everybody else is doing, and everybody dies. This changed our house in one freaking day. We were harassed by flies this year. We had done everything we could trying to keep the door shut. And I have the windows open. Tell the kids, shut the door when you go out. Like, you know, but they were just getting in and somehow they were multiplying. And you'd be sitting down and they're bothering you. You watch TV. They're climbing on the TV. You hear them in the window behind you. It is. And, and the flies haven't gotten better in, in, the, in the world, so to say, in our area. I left a garbage bag on the porch the other day for about 30 minutes until I went outside to do my chores and take it out to the, the garbage can. When I picked it up, they had figured out how to get in there. There was probably a hundred flies inside the back. That's how bad they are this year. This just kicked them in the dirt, kicked them in the dirt. And a box of four is like six bucks. And they say they lost 60 days. Well, they work so good. I'm going to tell you the last couple of weeks, because by then there's so many dead ones in there that there's not enough exposed sticky spots anymore. They're walking on the bodies and they come back out. So, you know, a couple, three boxes of these now in the write-up, and this may have changed, but uh, I bought a 12-pack. You read the write-up, and I'm just going to say that it wasn't as advertised, and you're better off buying the boxes individually. But I have sold over 100 boxes of these things since last week. I have gotten tremendous feedback from people saying how well they work. And, again, no poison, no toxin. Use the intrinsic characteristics of the insect to deal with the insect as non permaculture as black flag is as a company. I would call this a permaculture product. It's made from recyclable materials. It's non-toxic. It works and it uses the intrinsic characteristics of the pest to deal with the pest. Anyway, you can always help us out doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. You can also help us out by becoming a member to learn more about that. Go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members and you can learn all about the membership program that pays you to be a member because you will get so many discounts that you will make money by being a member and you'll help support the show with that. Hope you guys enjoyed today. I will be back tomorrow. I got something. I got something for you tomorrow. It's going to be something we've never done before, but I think you'll dig, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll have to tune out, tune in to find out. Are they going to bail you out? Just run you around. They said you should have a house. The American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way